Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, onto the show. My guest today is Hussein Elias, CEO and co-founder of Pathao. Pathao is one of the fastest growing technology companies in Bangladesh, providing on-demand ride-sharing services, logistics, and food delivery on its platform. The company has grown today to be one of the most successful ride-hailing companies in Bangladesh, handling over 2.5 million transactions as of February 2019, making it the number one provider of two-wheel rides in Bangladesh. So Hussein, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Yeah, it's I'm 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 happy to have you on. And uh, you know, I've I've actually heard uh, I've read about your company before, uh, but the thing is, I don't know much about Bangladesh at all. So I, I believe you're probably the first founder on my show that's from Bangladesh. So I'm excited to have you on, and uh, and hopefully you can give us a little bit of background of uh, of yourself and also the country because I'm interested in sort of what the environment and the macro backdrop is there. So. Uh, maybe you could just uh, let, why don't we start with an introduction of yourself uh, as a person, as an entrepreneur? You know, where where are you from? Where did you study? Where did you grow up? And how did you become an entrepreneur? Yeah, awesome. And uh, thanks, Jay, for having me on the show. Uh, it's very exciting to talk about uh, Patao and Bangladesh. Right. So yeah. So I'll start off with a little bit of info about myself. So I was born and raised in Bangladesh. I grew up here. I studied over here. I have all my friends and family over here. So and even you know before Pathau, I started a few other companies over here as well. Right. I was trying to find something which had a product market fit. So back in you know start with making us the Spotify for Bangladesh. This was back in 2013. Uh, and uh, it was a very good product. It was a product that we were proud of. But in 2013 in Bangladesh, we were just graduating out of dial-up, right? So uh, we, just, we just had the 4G being rolled out in 2014. So internet speed was very low. So, you know, having a streaming service did not make a lot of sense. After that, we found a few other kind of companies uh, which doesn't feel like companies now because they were just so small back then, right? We were trying to do something with um, uh, ride hailing, but we used tuk-tuks instead and we used feature phones instead of smartphones because most of the tuk-tuk drivers did not have smartphones. Um, And uh, we did a carpooling service, but we only had one car. Uh, so tried a few things, uh, eventually came and launched Patao. And at first, we also struggled with Patao. So Patao in Bangla actually means send. So the word the word Patao means send. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing e-commerce deliveries, right? Because e-commerce in Bangla was just starting up in 2015. Uh, and that was a very, very interesting time because uh, this was a time when suddenly, within a very short period of time, within I think one or two years, the smartphone penetration in Bangladesh doubled, 4G rolled out, 
So more people had access to cheap and sometimes unlimited internet. Uh, and people's GDP has also grew. So um, I'll come back to Patel, but a little more information about Bangladesh itself. Yes, yes. Please give us some of the backdrop because I, I think that a lot of the audience might not be as familiar. I know myself personally, I'm not that as familiar as what the what's the economy like right now. You know, you mentioned a, a few things like 4G hadn't rolled out yet when you started your earlier ventures. So give us a little bit of the backdrop. And, and I mean, it's basically the, the, the landscape that you were working uh, with or against, if you will, uh, when you're trying to build these companies, right? Yeah. So, and that's a question that I get a lot, right, uh, on Bangladesh itself. So, uh, you know, Bangladesh starts and ends uh, right in the Southeast Asia. So in one side, you have Myanmar, in one side, you have, you have India. Mm-hmm. And right in the middle, you have Bangladesh, which doesn't really get a lot of the attention it deserves, but it is one of the fastest growing countries in the region. It is growing between 7 to 8% uh, year on year. It's growing faster than Vietnam, faster than Indonesia, even faster than India and China now. Oh, yeah. Um, with a population of 170 million people, making it the eighth most populated country in the world. So, uh, and over 80 million of those 180 million people have are, are daily internet users, right? So, uh, this is a very, very exciting time just because in you know, the population, the demographic, the median age is 26. So, uh, what that means is that, you know, we have a very young population which are being introduced to technology and internet for the very first time. So, uh, and all of this are happening over the last four or five years. So when I created that Spotify for Bangladesh, all of that did not work out because in 2013, we did not have find the product market fit. But right now in 2019, there are like four different services, right? Which provide basically the same streaming service and they're all very popular. And what follows and what this, the growth, growing economy and young population really means is that uh, more and more people are, have more disposable income, right? So we, there's a projection that uh, by 2025, uh, we're going to double uh, the growing, the emerging middle class from 22 to 44 million. And this 44 million people will have a disposable income north of $5,000 a year. So again, very, very exciting time for the country. However, I think because again, you know, you have two giants on two sides. You have India on one side, which gets a lot of attention. Uh, and you have Southeast Asia on the other side. Right? And Bangladesh does, isn't, you know, technically an ASEAN country. So it, it gets lost out, right? Even though the metrics are uh, sometimes better than, let's say, Vietnam, which is the most comparable country, or, you know, the growth is higher than in India or Indonesia. Yeah, so that's a pretty good uh, back, back background you gave, Hussein, and I appreciate that because, uh, you know, like you said, uh, like we, you know, alluded to, not a lot of people have a good understanding of Bangladesh, and uh, the opportunity 
the set that is there. You know, I mean, it oftentimes gets uh, grazed over for Southeast Asia or like you said, India and China. Are, and uh, you just mentioned that Bangladesh, in fact, has greater growth uh, from a sort of GDP perspective uh, from the economy's perspective uh, than either of those two giants. But I think a lot of people automatically try to go for India or China because that's where the they think the uh, opportunity is. So because of that, uh, here is your opportunity, right? So uh, you said that there is uh, now the population of of um, it was 180 million. Is that right? Yeah. So it's 170 or 180 million people, depending on who you ask. <laughs> right. And then and and the is is Dhaka is that the capital and the largest city? So Dhaka as a is the largest city is the capital and it has 20 million people. Uh, yeah, so Dhaka itself is one of the densest cities in the world, right? It's denser on a per kilometer basis than let's say Jakarta or Hong Kong. Um, and like any growing and growing and emerging city in a developing uh, country, Dhaka itself has its own problems. So Dhaka's biggest problem is, of course, traffic, right? Because more and more people from uh, outside of the city are coming in and living in the so, uh, and the infrastructure really hasn't caught up. So, you know, the idea of Pata and how Pata evolved is a function of the city itself, the density of the city, the population of the city, and the poor infrastructure of the city. Right. Okay. So that was sort of how you, I guess, with your experience and where you lived and being an entrepreneur, uh, you realized that this there was a there was definitely a pain point there and a need to be solved uh, because of the how the city is laid out and and this sort of thing. So, what what was the first? I mean, you have several different lines of your business. Was the, was bike sharing the first thing or ride sharing? Like, what was the first uh, entry or or your first venture? I guess vertical that you worked on. Yeah. So you know, we started off with e-commerce logistics, as I mentioned before. And what that really meant was that in around 2015, you had a lot of different uh, e-commerce platforms, e-commerce marketplaces that were coming online for the very first time. However, all of them needed a way to deliver a package from their merchants to the, to the customer in an efficient manner. And also we needed to provide cash on delivery services, right? Because it wasn't just delivery, it was also cash collection and cash handling services. So we started off with providing that and immediately and after this was the fourth or the fifth time I was trying to start a business. This was the first time we actually had hit that product market fit and found some traction because there was a need for a service like ours. And this allowed us to grow. Uh, our, we, you know, we did not limit ourselves over there. We quickly build other services on top of just plain logistics and yeah, became who we are today. So with, with the early logistics, e-commerce logistics uh, delivery, was it, was it basically people that were shopping online? Was it, uh, you know, was it more sort of smaller boutique retail mom and pop shops that you're delivering for? Or was it large, large brands that you're delivering for? Was there a specific uh, time uh, guarantee that you would deliver the stuff on or was it just basically th there was a need there was not enough people that were delivering for e-commerce companies 
so it was the you know the two in the middle right one was that it was a lot of the mom and pop shops which were trying to sell products on facebook or instagram right so they would come in on facebook or instagram wasn't that popular back then and they would put up pictures of items they would want to sell and someone would you know knock that facebook merchant right what we call f commerce they would knock the facebook merchant and uh they would say that hey i want this product can you get it delivered and then the merchant would contact us and we would pick up the product from the merchant we deliver it to the customer pick up the cash and return the cash back to the merchant right yeah so this all happened in the in a 24 36 hour time frame um eventually we had a larger e-commerce players such as adaraz uh, which was at that time owned by rocket internet but now owned by alibaba uh, come on as a partner but even today most of our merchant we have over 10000 merchants right but i would say 95% of the merchants are still that small mom and pop f commerce uh, shops uh, which are which we are partnering up with It's interesting. So, Hussein, one of the things that I noticed is is that uh, by by the way that you describe your service, it appears that it's still a very cash-based society there because you describe delivering the package but then also taking the money back to the vendor, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a very cash-based economy. And uh it's a very cash-based economy and it is still an uphill struggle because the payment infrastructure is still very poor only maybe 1% of the people actually has a credit or debit card right uh, and maybe maybe 3 or 4% actually has a bank account so we are in a very underbanked uh, country so did you have any challenges when you were dealing with um i mean anytime you deal with money there's there's issues of trust and you know i mean i i imagine there's yeah. some sort of um banking or or financial regulation that that you might or i don't know con- you know i mean if i was a even if i was a mom and pop seller and uh, you were just a startup there's always must be some sort of fear that hey maybe uh you know Hussein's going to pick up my my stuff and i'm never going to see the money back right so how did you overcome these sort of struggles I I feel like the you know at that point in time right there was a lot of competition right because there was a need for this so there's a lot of people who were coming in into this market and you know that's exactly what had happened that some of these e-commerce uh, logistics players basically you know took the product did deliveries and then ran off, ran off with the money um however what we did was you know we just built on the trust that the merchants placed on us there was no regulations right it's still cash based so there is a lot of risk but we just made sure that hey whatever product we deliver and customers get their money on time the merchants get their money on time right that is one of our key north star metrics our key kpi and the reason that we were able to grow to the extent that we were able to grow is because we kept that consumer trust so right now even though the delivery market is very fragmented 
we are one, we are the largest e-commerce delivery partner in the country. That's pretty exciting. So, and then uh, the deliveries themselves are they were they uh, using vehicles that you purchased uh, initially, basically with your own money to to begin the the business? Was it uh, you know what's the what what is the transportation uh, culture, so to speak, like there? Is there because I know that certain parts of Southeast Asia, there's a lot of motorcycles, mopeds, this sort of thing. Um, other places, it's all like larger vehicles, vans, or, or and then some uh, more, you know, maybe second or first world cities, they have uh, actual people on, on bicycles uh, being bike couriers, right? So I'm interested, what is the, what is the bike, the transportation culture like there in Bangladesh? So, you know, because, you know, deliveries is a, a very low margin business, right? It's, a, it's what matters is, you know, how fast can we scale it and at what extent can we scale it. So what we did was we used bicycles for deliveries, right? Bicycles were cheap, they were fast, they could weave past traffic very quickly. So bicycles was the main way in which how we delivered product for maybe the first uh, 12 to 15 months before we eventually graduated into motorcycles uh, because they're faster and to be perfectly frank, a little more humane. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we as, you know, when you're doing bicycles, you're basically asking people to carry packages on a, like carry like 20 kgs on a bicycle every day. Uh, but yeah, after 12 to 15 months, we're finally able to afford and move into motorcycles. And, you know, that that's the time when we also started experimenting with ride sharing. Right? So, yeah, so this is a good time to actually talk about ride sharing in general and how that actually started. So, you know, uh, the average speed in Dhaka is seven kilometers per hour, right? Yeah. It's faster sometimes to you know walk. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, so so I used to do this. I used to um, you know from my home to my office. It was a seven kilometer journey, right? And what I used to do was I used to take a rickshaw. You know, you had pedal rickshaws. Rickshaw, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So Dhaka is one of the only cities still in the world which still has pedal rickshaws. So I take a pedal rickshaw to the bus and take the bus to somewhere near the office where I got dropped off and then took another pedal rickshaw back to the office. And that took one and a half, two hours, right? Every day, just one way, traveling one way. And the road infrastructure was so poor because there was a lot of road constructions going on in 2016 that... Uh, I had to take multiple buses. Sometimes I had to get dropped off in a bus, then walk a little bit more, and get another get on top of another bus, and then take that. Right? Um, is I found it very hard to articulate this to a Western audience than how bad things can be, but that's what actually made something like a, the Patao two-wheeler ride sharing really get some traction. So. The reason that we started this direction, one was, yes, the problem was big. The people needed a way to get around in a fast, cheap, and efficient way. But the other problem over here is that, you know, unlike Vietnam or Indonesia, there was no motorcycle 
uh, taxi culture, right? So what we had to do was we basically had to build a new category of transportation, which is a two-wheeler taxis, right? And uh, at first that presented its own challenges because people, again, we didn't really have a brand at that point. We didn't really have an app or anything like that. All, all we did was, you know, we bought five motorcycles, which uh, from 12 o'clock to five o'clock, they were doing deliveries of packages. And we, I had a Facebook group. I had a WhatsApp group where my friends would message me that and say that, hey, Elias, I need a ride at eight o'clock in the morning from my home to my university. Can you pick me up? And I would send, I, I would dispatch a motorcycle manually, right? And that's how you know, the people would go home back as well. So it was very manual. It was a very call center based uh, dispatch. We did not really have a lot of bikes, um, but that's how we actually got started. And that built a community because it was again in a Facebook group. It built a community around it. Uh, 20, you know, back then Facebook was the internet. Right? People will go to Google and search for Facebook because they, they would think that that's the internet, right? So it was, and it was very important that we help build that community that really propelled us to grow later on. Okay, excellent. And so, uh, so that was how, you, so so that was how you basically uh, started the the uh, ride sharing, uh, ride hailing service. Uh, so you had the delivery, e-commerce delivery, uh, ride sharing, and then uh, and then what else do you have on there now? Yeah, so you know, twenty twenty. Uh, so I explain, you know, go, going you know chronologically, right? Twenty fifteen was the one where we started the e-commerce Twenty sixteen was where we were experimenting with uh, ride sharing uh, in a call center basis. Twenty seventeen is when we finally launched our app, right? And immediately following, you know, it blew up, right? People were talking about it. People were able to share the app. There was a referral system. Uh, more and more people were talking about it. And uh, 2017 was an interesting year because all, all we did was we tried to just keep up with the growth. Right. Right? So in January of 2017, where we did maybe 200 rides a day or less than 200 rides a day, by December of the same year, we were doing over 50,000 rides a day. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was a lot of hustle, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of fire drills, just trying to onboard more drivers, training the drivers, making sure that the app doesn't crash because it was just handling so much load. Uh, but 2017 was the year we were able to you know, establish ourselves in the market and build a brand around our product. Uh, we also, it was the same year we launched uh, our car service, our four-wheeler service. Mm. And the year after that, we launched uh, our food delivery service. And yeah, so right now we have two-wheelers, four-wheelers, food delivery, e-commerce logistics, another product called Parcels, which is on-demand 
logistics, which works some hard sometimes like a uh, like an Uber Rush or a GoSend from Gojek. Right. And we just launched our loyalty program yesterday, and we're also gearing up to launch an e-commerce platform by the end of this year. Wow. Yeah, that's that that is quite incredible and and uh so so you would say that sort of the hockey stick moment was after you after you built the app and basically that was able you were able to reach basically a whole lot more people outside of that little facebook community because people could just download the app and then all of a sudden they they basically were onboarded onto the platform exactly exactly they're onboarded on the platform ordering was easier Right? You don't have to call someone and explain to them where you know, you had to send the bike and where they need to be dropped off. Everything was automatic. It, it, the app really allowed us to scale. Right. That's, that's yeah, that's a very, very cool story. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is how all right sharing is, really, right? Um, it's not a pure tech uh, business or a pure tech play because... You know, there is a real-world component to it, right? You can run ride-sharing uh, without any tech, right. right? But it doesn't scale. It only scales when you have technology behind it. That's right. So another classic case of using the power and the leverage of code and the internet to scale your business uh, indefinitely. Um, tell us a little bit... Uh, Tell us a little bit about your team there, uh, the Pathout team. Uh, you know, do you have any co-founders? You know, how many employees do you guys have now? How many bikes do you have? <laughs> yeah, so I so at this point, um, so okay, so beginning of it, I started with my co-founder Adnan. Adnan is the CTO, right, and. You know, in all the projects that I mentioned before, Adnan was always involved, uh, driving the technology, building up to that, and all of that. Uh, right now, our team is quite large. We have over 500 people yeah, across, you know, all functions. So you have the technology, product, design, uh, operations, marketing, all of that inclusive, right? So we're a pretty big team now. Uh, however, we try to be lean and we're more and more, we're focusing on product and technology centric solutions to you know, solving operational problems instead of just throwing people at problems. Sure, yeah. And uh, you, the company now I, I've, I've read is uh, worth more than $100 million. So that's, uh, congratulations, that's incredible. What, what's your fundraising been like? And there's been a couple of, you guys have had a couple of rounds, including an institutional price round. Uh, who are some of the, who are some of your investors that, um, you know, have been supportive of your growth? So, you know, we had a couple of investors. So our, one of our most prominent investors is Gojek. Right, Gojek. Uh, yeah, they invested back into our Series A round, right? And they have been a very uh, supportive. They have been a very supportive uh, investor. We also have had Open Space Ventures, which is a Singapore-based VC, but also very 
supportive as well as battery road digital holdings which is uh, our seed investor and has you know participated in every round we have had so over time we have raised over 35 million dollars so gojek for those listening you're probably familiar with uh, i think they're indonesia right they're also a very similar uh service as 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 what you guys do uh sort of on demand uh, i know they have ride sharing and payments and and uh and food delivery is there speaking of that you know what's the what's your competitive landscape like because i imagine that the same you know i mean you saw this opportunity i'm sure you're not the only one that saw the opportunity given the infrastructure and the backdrop uh-huh. there must be other players out there obviously it's probably difficult for someone like a Uber or Gojek to come in themselves. So it does make sense for them to invest into a local player. Are there any other local players out there that are, uh, you know, close competitors of yours? I think so. There is because we're in so many different categories and we have geared ourselves to be a super app and a platform. uh, There are competition in every sector, right? So if I were to say that's a ride sharing, right? So Uber is actually here. And Uber is competing with us on our, both two-wheelers and the four-wheeler segments. Uh, yeah. On food, we are competing as Food Panda, and also recently launched Uber Eats. Um, in the delivery sector, there isn't a lot of the international players, but there's a few local players over here, uh, such as eCourier or Shundurban Courier which we're competing against. Um, yeah, e-commerce, you have other Raz or an Ashkid deal, which is a local player. So category-wise, so category-wise, there is a lot of competition. Yeah. Yes, and so I guess the, the cat's out of the bag. Everyone sees that there's a huge opportunity here. Um, tell us a little bit, Elias, tell us a little bit about your, your future plans. I mean, you're, it sounds like you're literally... Uh, on the brink of, well, you've already exploded within uh, Bangladesh, uh, with, with the city that you operate there. How many, are there any other cities within Bangladesh other than Dhaka that you are in? Uh, do you have any other further plans to expand potentially to other countries? So that's an interesting question because we are actually not just limited to Bangladesh. Um, we also launched in Nepal last year. And yeah, so in Bangladesh, we operate in five cities. We operate in Dhaka, Chittagong, Silet, Gajipur, and Naranganj. So, and in Nepal, we also operate in Kathmandu, uh, which is also a very, very interesting market in itself. Um, so what we are trying to do over 2019 as well as 2020 is a deeper countrywide expansion. Bangladesh has 64 cities and we're in only five. So we'd like to obviously take our product everywhere. Um, We also want to commit to a better operational and product SLS so that we can provide a better quality of service to our customers and our merchants. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we just launched our loyalty program and we hope what that's going to do is that's going to tie up all the different verticals together. So let's say, you know, you are a power Pata rides customer. And so we want you to use more Pata food. 
So a loyalty program is going to allow you to allow us to one promote other verticals, right? Cross promote other verticals, as well as you know increase our retention of our customers, right? And uh, the last thing is, hey, with this end of this year, we're launching e-commerce, which we're very excited by because you know e- we have been working with the e-commerce industry for the last four years. We have been doing deliveries for them. Uh, we understand all their pain points. We have signed up over 10,000 merchants at this point. Uh, however, we want to establish a more deeper relationship with them. Uh, that's So having e-commerce in our app is going to allow us to do a few different things. One is giving more visibility of this mom and pop Instagram stores uh, to our 5 million users and also allow for easier uh, payment options, right? Because all of the, because the deliveries right now happen through Facebook or Instagram, the only way delivery is only way to receive payment is through you know cash and delivery but if it happens within a platform we can also promote um, other non-cash ways of doing these transactions yeah i find that very interesting because uh i think that you know again a concept that's probably foreign to many people uh that haven't been uh, to to bangladesh or maybe the Western audience is, um, in, in addition to not understanding uh, how poor the infrastructure and, and logistics and transportation is, is this concept of cash, a uh, cash payment, cash system, cash-based system. And I think that it's something that we take for granted in the West, but you know, it's a real, it's a real thing. And so I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how how your country uh, develops that that the, the you know the digital payments. Uh, which direction they're going to go with that you know if they're going to uh, go with uh, you know credit cards and that sort of thing or they're going to leapfrog and go straight to something like digital currencies cryptocurrencies you know i mean i think that there there's a opportunity there to for them to to just adopt something that might actually even be better than the traditional um uh, digital payments or you know solutions so it'll be interesting to see um I just have a couple more questions for you. And, uh, you know, once again, Elias, thank you for your time and, and sharing the story. I think that it's it's fascinating, you know, for me. And I think the audience is going to find it very interesting, uh, particularly because, you know, the company that you built is is, is doing just so extremely well. Um, so the first question that I have for you is given sort of the, the backdrop of Bangladesh and how you see the economy continuing to grow in the next, you know, five or so years, if there was an entrepreneur out there uh, that was specifically looking to build a company in Bangladesh and you having experience being, you know, having a few startups uh, that you've tried before, is there any areas that you would specifically recommend for these aspiring entrepreneurs to look like? What are the places that need disruption right now in Bangladesh or in the next five years? Hmm. So, as I said, right, Bangladesh is in a very interesting inflection point right now. Um, so more and more people are coming online right now, uh, fueled by cheap smartphones as well as cheap data. And there is more smartphone usage that's happening across like all segments of the population. So 
it really opens up a lot of doors. Uh, I think the first level of disruption that is happening is on the offline to online industry, right? So we ourselves, if you actually think about it, we are not really doing anything new. What we're doing is providing transportation. Before, you know, even before us, people needed transportation, right? People had options. We are just providing a digital form of transportation, making things fast, cheap, efficient. I think uh, food delivery is another one. You know, people could have ordered food on food by calling up a restaurant. We just allowed for more of an access to it. So I think offline to online is where we will see that the first wave of uh, customers coming in because these are people who would uh, just be looking for making a current industry or current sector more digital. Right? So I think that's where we will see the most of it. Uh, however, that being said, you know, you really need to build, identify what the market really is. Um, I, I would say that for our success, you know, it wasn't just finding the product market fit because the product did not exist before us, right? There was no bike taxis in Bangladesh. Uh, so uh, in Indonesia, there were bike taxis. So, you know, Gojek was able to launch over there. In Vietnam, you had the Xiaoms. So bike taxis made a sense, right? We had to create a category. So there was an uphill battle, but it made it, it made sense because the problem was so big that it needed a new solution. It needed a solution that wasn't there. Um, but we got lucky. I would say we got lucky. Uh, I would uh, say that, hey, if anyone else is coming into the sector, to take a look into the market itself and really, really identify what are the pain points and build a good product, right? And I think the other, I think the success comes uh, if you can build a good product for a big enough problem. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like the entrepreneurial slash startup scene there is, uh, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it growing? Is it getting better? Is, are there a lot of, do you see a lot more entrepreneurs that are trying to solve these big problems? I know that different you know, cities and different countries have uh, different uh, sort of culture around this, right? Some, some cultures are less, uh, supportive of entrepreneurship, but I feel like it sounds like uh, there there must be a pretty good startup scene there, especially in Dhaka, right? It's it's growing, it's starting up, right? And you know you need a few. At first, it's very hard to build startups, and suddenly it's not, right? At first, so when we started, it was very hard to build startups because the infrastructure was really not there. Um, it was, as I said, right? It's just the internet was just becoming affordable. But four years later on, internet is affordable. It's a present tense and not a, it's going to be future tense. Uh, so now you have a lot of different startups which are popping up, a lot of different accelerators, and also VCs are starting to take notice that there is a market, and it's a market where there isn't a lot of competition, it is a market where their macros line up, the population is interesting, the growth is interesting. 
and this is a market that is undercapitalized compared to its neighboring countries. Uh, so more VCs coming in means that more startups are succeeding, right? And they're more they have more capital to play with. Absolutely, and it also helps to have uh, success stories, such as uh, such as your company. So, <laughs> the more successful companies there are, you know, there's more seasoned entrepreneurs like yourself that can help mentor and give back to the community uh, as well. So it's a virtuous circle. Uh, Elisa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, just the final question is uh, basically where can the audience listeners find you or follow you or learn more about Pathal? Yeah. So uh, I have a website, hmelias.com, H-M-E-L-I-U-S.com. Mm-hmm. Right? It has all my contacts and everything. Uh, I'm usually very active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Okay, great. So, yeah, so that's where you know people can uh, follow. Uh, also, our website, pathao.com, P-A-T-H-A-O.com, is also always up to date, and we uh, keep it up to date with more of our product launches and our service updates. Great. And is uh, the LinkedIn and Instagram, are those your personal profiles or the company's profiles? So those, those are my personal Okay, products. so what's your Instagram handle? And I'll get the listeners to follow you. <laughs> yeah, it's el.vista, elvista. El okay, got it. We'll put that all <laughs> yeah. in the show notes. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, Elias, it's, it's very, uh, it was good hearing from you. And uh, thanks for sharing the, the story and giving us a little bit of education as well on Bangladesh and the, uh, the economy there. And, you know, look, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, Pathau and your future success sounds like you guys are solving a huge problem and doing a very good job at it so thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your story absolutely and thanks Jay for having me here uh, it was a pleasure definitely take care alright bye I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All of the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The Jay Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.